It's iPhone season once again. iPhone 13 is out. Um, you're probably not surprised that I've been hard at work trying to get as many videos out about it as I can. First one I did was all about it from a filmmaker's perspective and coming up soon is the photography one. I, I don't know, maybe it'll be out around the same time as this podcast. But this is a very special episode. I had the opportunity to have a conversation with the exact people that you would want to talk about iPhone cameras with. Kyan Drance, who you'd recognize from the keynote factual title, is Worldwide iPhone Product Marketing. She's, you know, she's the one that was on stage saying this is what the iPhone 13 is. And then there's also a few more behind the scenes people. John McCormack, who's the VP of Camera Software Engineering, and also Graham Townsend, who is the VP of Camera Hardware Engineering that is quite the lineup. It was amazing to be able to just have a conversation with them about why they're excited about this new phone and some of the thought that went into it. So this is a special episode, not like most of them. I hope you guys enjoy it. Hey, Tyler, thanks for joining us. So I know you got a briefing yesterday and we are so excited because our recent iPhone 13 announcements included our biggest camera upgrades across the lineup. iPhone 13 and iPhone 13 mini bring advanced technologies with sensor shift OIS and our largest sensor ever in a dual camera system for nearly 50% more light captured in photos and videos. And on iPhone 13 Pro, we have a huge upgrade, our most significant yet for our pro camera system. And coupled with the power of A15 Bionic, our new ISP, new video encoders and decoders, improved neural engine, and advancements in our computational photography and videography. And it's really exciting to see how iPhone continues to change the landscape of mobile photography and how it's now bringing next level pro features for pro video into the hands of many. And today we'd like to talk more about this and share some more background for what went into developing our amazing camera system systems and capabilities. So I'd love to just hand it over to Graham. Thank you, Kyan. Uh, hi, Tyler. Good to uh, virtually meet you. <laughs> so, yeah, hi, Graham. Uh, hi. Um, so uh, I'd like to give you a bit more background about the hardware side, and then John will uh, sort of give you some more on the uh, the software. Um, but one big benefit that we, we have from designing our own hardware um, is that we work together with John's team um, to take advantage of the actual hardware that we're building, uh, starting from early design phase. And so that means the lens, uh, the sensor, the actuator, and the ISP hardware are all specifically designed to complement the firmware and the software processing that's going to follow them. Uh, and since we own the entire stack, uh, from photons to JPEG, if you will, uh, we can choose the optimal place in the pipeline to deliver specific benefits. Uh, for example, um, our unique uh, Sensor shift OIS capability is fast enough to actually stabilize a single video frame to reduce shimmer, and yet accurate enough to enable up to two-second handheld exposure for stills. Uh, now, these stabilized frames provide a really great foundation of raw detail for the software uh, team to build on. And with our larger sensors and increased pixel size across the line, we're able to deliver so much more than improved light, low light performance. Now, of course, that's really important as well. But the larger pixels actually allow us to uh, capture more rich detail and reduce noise, which means the firmware has much more information and therefore flexibility to adapt, for instance, to tone mapping. This allows us to deliver the most accurate rendering ever from the true brightness, highlights and shadows of each specific scene. Every exposure can be shorter, uh, which is a real benefit of extra light sensitivity, hence reducing subject motion blur for both stills and videos across a wide range of lighting levels. 
And all this means that the iPhone 13 models get nearly 50% more light gathering capability and improved stabilization offered by the sensor shift system pioneered on iPhone 12 Pro Max last year. Uh, iPhone 13 Pro users have benefited from a 2.2 times jump in uh, light capture thanks to the combination of the larger 1.9 micron pixels and the wider f1.5 aperture. Uh, the same camera in the Pro Max gives those users nearly one and a half times year-on-year -year improvement. The wider aperture also reduces depth of field and improves natural bokeh in the background, especially with uh, close subjects. So just pause there in case you wanted to ask any questions on the larger sensors and the wide apertures before I go on to a little bit more of the, the chain. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the larger sensors seem to be one of the more significant things, Every, especially looking back over the years at how the phone has evolved, seeing it get larger has really coincided with those photos becoming closer to just fully uh, indistinguishable from bigger SLR cameras or, you know, full frame sensors. It's much harder now to spot the difference. And to as just an iPhone user, it seems to me like it must be connected to the fact that those sensors are getting closer to what we've been used to on big cameras in the past. Um, what, one thing I wondered about, though, was the, the stabilization you had moved away from optical. What advantages are you finding with stabilizing directly on the sensor how does that work better or, or what's the advantage for you guys right so um although it's it, we're no longer moving the lens we are still we're physically shifting the sensor underneath the lens so in that sense it's still stabilized at the optical level albeit that we're moving the sensor now that's actually the way they often do it in DSLRs, actually. And it's a huge challenge um, because you, you now have all the signals with high speed coming off, which you have to uh, sort of uh, transmit with integrity and much greater reliability as well. Um, so uh, it was a huge challenge, but it was necessary because the, the, the weight of the lenses themselves was getting so large uh, that it was hard to get the response times that we were after to be able to stabilize not just handshake, but vibrations and things like that. So that's really why we switched to sensor shift. And we added a whole load of uh, control loops and tracking mechanisms so that the, uh, the frequencies which we can stabilize are, are, are more extensive than we, we had previously. Graham also alluded to just the challenge of creating this really custom designed sensor shift. And it was an industry first when we introduced it last year. And we started with the 12 Pro Max. And if you recall, it was only on the 12 Pro Max. But then this year, his team has done some incredible orchestration and engineering to get that to fit even in the iPhone 13 mini. Yeah, no, I especially love to see it on the phones for everybody so that you don't feel like you need to to have the absolute top of the line to get the top of the line performance. Um, it's it's really exciting seeing those best features be available to the the most wide, you know, mainstream phones that everybody's going to be picking up. And you may have noticed our pro camera systems are exactly the same actually between the twelve, the thirteen Pro Max and the thirteen Pro this year. Uh, so another great uh, unification of all of that. It makes it easier to talk about in videos actually, because I can just say the Pro has these, and uh, so th <laughs> yeah, that little bit makes it easier to communicate for me. I can I can explain it a little quicker. Uh, add a little bit more about the uh, the hardware, and then uh, give another opportunity for sort of further further questions. Uh, we've just been discussing on the iPhone 13 Pro and Pro Max. Uh, this was the biggest camera system update. Uh, advances in the A15 Bionic, all three cameras being improved simultaneously, uh, combined to give much more flexibility to the firmware and the software. And I think John will go into just how, how that's able to be used. Uh, but we basically it means we've made much better optimization of each capture because we have more freedom, more signal. 
the Pro models also have a new rear ambient light sensor. Uh, this allows us to more quickly dial in the exposure for a scene and get a head start on the white balance, even before the camera itself has fully started. It leads to a more consistent video capture from the very first frame. Another way we optimize the camera hardware uh, is by moving the video noise reduction processing to earlier in our image pipeline. And this allows us to actually preserve details in video even more. The new ultra wide uh, not only adds autofocus for pin sharp vistas, but also adds a whole new field of creativity with macro photography, allowing focus down to two centimeters at a full 12 megapixel resolution. And even more smooth auto switching between the wide and the ultra wide makes these new close up captures intuitive and natural for ordinary people, as it were. The tele offers increased three times zoom, enabling total six times zoom range for the camera system and delivers a full 12 megapixel resolution at the 77 millimeter focal length with all the details you expect, even in lower lighting, thanks to the combination of the image stabilization and night mode. So all this makes the most pro camera systems we've ever seen on the iPhone product range. Uh, any questions before I hand it over to John to explain all the things he's managed to do with that? I've, I've found the addition of the ultra wide since it was first added to be one of the sort of like unheralded huge changes to photography because um, since so many people use iPhones to take photos, the average photo has become wider because we have this ultra wide, like 13 millimeters on a big camera was uncommon you know it's those are very typically very expensive to get a good ultra wide lens for professional photographers so they're, they're they're not even used that often but all of a sudden we all have them available so we've been able to see the world through this wider perspective and i think we, we all got used to it so quickly that I, I like to think back about like wow like there was this actual shift in how people are taking images really recently so seeing it updated um and these improvements is is really great um I'm a little curious about, uh, in terms of adding the macro, it seems like maybe that was made possible by the addition of autofocus. So, you know, previously it was this locked focus, so that works great for things further in the distance. But now that the ultrawide can change its 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 focus point, all of a sudden it comes from, I'm sure uh, previously it was, you know, a, a meter or two away, and now all of a sudden it can go up to, um, what what was the lowest that the macro can go? Uh, the two, two centimeters, in fact. Yeah. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Is that about right? It's enabled by the addition of autofocus? It, exactly correct. Yeah, without autofocus, it's very well, then it, you get into having a dedicated macro camera. Um, and, and, you know, that, that to us is just not as efficient as being able to use the, the same camera for these two uh, separate but somehow linked purposes. So, uh, and that and was actually really, really important because <laughs> on the, um, you know, when Graham talked about the autofocus and you talked about not having a separate dedicated macro camera, one thing we wanted to do is to make it so there wasn't a separate mode that you had to go into. So if you notice in the demo yesterday, you're on the 1X, right? And so you think you're on the wide. And as you get a lot closer, it automatically shifts over to the ultra wide and using that autofocus system, using that new lens design, but it happens very subtly to the user, but then they can do that and they can do that in video and slow-mo and time-lapse. Uh, and so that, that great new, uh, you know, design with the autofocus and really helped us like unlock even more of these pretty cool features. Sure. Yeah. If people don't want to think about it, they don't need to know that that's the lens working. It'll just seem like there's a dedicated macro lens as far as the experience is concerned. John, I'd love to hear a little bit more about, uh, what you could say about the uh, software side. Cool, let's jump in. Um, 
So computational photography really has become a core component of iPhone's camera. This has let us create features like smart HDR, night mode, deep fusion, and Apple Pro Raw. And just a quick reminder um, around computational photography, when we take a still image, we look across multiple frames at different exposure values to get as much information as we can. And then we use machine learning to break the image into parts. We find the background, the subject, the sky, the skin, hair, teeth, etc. And then we individually process and light all of these components before we pull them back into the final image. And this is incredibly computationally intensive. And it's only possible because of the unique way that we combine hardware and software innovation and specifically around the A15 Bionic chip, that our continued development of the CPU, the GPU, the neural engine, the image signal processor on the A15 Bionic allow us to really bring computational photography and videography so you can beautifully capture the world around you. And this year, we've been able to push it uh, further uh, with overall image quality improvements. We've got Smart HDR 4, photographic styles, and cinematic mode in video. And so to dive into those a little bit as we think about Smart HDR, we now process the primary people in the scene individually based on their size in the frame, the lighting they're in, and their skin color. And so this means that the individuals, the people in the photo are rendered much more like they were in the scene with really accurate lighting on the faces and the skin tones. And then to give photographers even more creative control, we added photographic styles. And this allows creatives to go in and control both the tone and the color temperature of the image at capture time without having to worry about the skin tone, the skin tone being altered in weird ways. So before I jump into video, is there any questions that I can answer around computational photography? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, there's more than we have time for today. I have a million of them. But uh, I mean, it's like what I've always appreciated the most about it and what frustrates me when I go back to the bigger professional cameras that, you know, like often that's what we're going to use on a lot of jobs is a bigger camera. But there's certain things that I've gotten used to because of iPhones that I don't have. So the best example is having some understanding of context of the scene. So I can do HDR, you know, using Capture One or, or uh, Lightroom afterwards in post and I can raise the shadows, but it doesn't understand some of those shadows belong to somebody's hair and shouldn't be bright and shiny. And some of the shadows uh, actually do should go up. So that context of what what is what kind of shadow, what is what kind of highlight is incredibly helpful. And I think hard to for, for, for average people to realize it's happening in the phone, that each item seems to be dealt with slightly differently. And that's a lot of how we get that naturalistic look to it. Um, I just in general wonder like uh, how you approach that balance of obviously there's something it's almost like there's a heightened reality because you're capturing more than we're even used to on traditional cameras, but you still are after like a naturalistic look. I'm sure it's it's intentional that you guys are, are seeking that, um, you know, it, it doesn't feel processed, but there is actually more going on than we've ever had in photography before. Yeah, because if if you think about it, if a professional photographer goes and takes a photograph of somebody then they're going to go pull it across into their photo editor of choice and they're going to create a bunch of layers and masks they're going to mask out 
the skin and the hair and the teeth and the eyes and process them all individually using their knowledge. Well, you know, that's this specific special set of skills that previously only pro photographers have had, had access to. But through machine learning, we can go through the image and we can say, okay, let's grab the hair or the skin or the foliage in the background. And because we know what those things are, we can then do the same kind of developing that traditionally a pro would have done. And so this is just part of really our philosophy of using the advanced computation and machine learning to take the skills that usually only very a small amount of professional photographers have and just make that available to everybody without having to think about it. Yeah, in a way, they're old darkroom techniques, but being applied through artificial intelligence. So yeah, I love that. And this really speaks to the amount of processing power in the iPhone. And in fact, we've got so much processing power now that we're able, able to take these same computational photography techniques and introduce them in the video world to bring computational videography. And so really we are now applying all of the same machine learning magic we learned in stills to video. And so just like in stills, now in video, we segment each frame in real time and we process the sky and the skin and foliage individually. And this takes our already industry-leading video and makes it even better by giving us better clarity and more detail in different parts of the image, even when the subject's moving or the scene's changing or the light is low. Yeah, this is something I'd run into is that I just comparing it to, you know, bigger cinema cameras I use that there are many situations where I can get more dynamic range, I can capture more of the scene on my phone than the big expensive camera sitting next to me, which is kind of frustrating. I spent a lot of money on this camera, you know, and then my iPhone's doing a better job. And, uh, you know, it's it, it, it. Yeah, it's a pretty strange experience. these days. It, it is a I think a universal truth amongst photographers and videographers that a lot of these expensive lenses and pieces of gear that we've accumulated over the years are, are now just like sort of gathering dust somewhere between like sort of props and lawn ornaments because there are so many places that iPhone can do everything you need, ju not just equally well, but better. And so as an example, so like just like in still photography where we've wanted to bring these traditionally pro-only features into uh, the hands of consumers, we wanted to do that in videography as well so that folks can bring their artistic point of view to their storytelling. And this is what cinematic mode is all about this year. It allows iPhone users to use sophisticated depth of field and focus pulling techniques in their story. And this is something that traditionally was only available to folks with a lot of gear, a lot of training, a lot of education. And of course, to do this, we started off with all the technology and learnings from portrait mode photos, but video segmentation is so much more complex and it needs all of the power of iPhone's hardware and a lot of brand new machine learning techniques because we go through every single frame and we can calculate the depth in real time for every frame using the neural engine on the A15 Bionic. But 
it's more than just being able to segment out the depth. It's also about bringing in cinematography techniques. And so our new cinematic algorithms actually in real time choose the most likely subject to be in focus and then automatically move or rack that focus as the subjects in the scene change. And so, of course, if you choose to, you can go and manually control this as well. But the real magic trick here is that you can go back after the fact, after you've shot the footage, and not just change the depth of field, but you can also change where the focus is. And this brings a whole new level of efficiency to storytelling because you can concentrate so much more on the story you're trying to tell and know that like afterwards in post, you can go fix and change uh, some of the focus racks, which is a really powerful thing. And all of this technology comes together to create this storytelling tool that to the point that you made earlier, they just don't exist in the traditional video camera world. But more importantly, and this is really what I think we as Apple do best and focus on the most, even though there's a ton of technology here, the user doesn't have to think about it. The thing that they have to think about is what the story is that they uniquely want to tell. Yeah, I think uh, when you hear cinematographers talk about their work, something that doesn't always get out to the mainstream is how much that focusing is becomes a character it is there, there's like there is acting in the choices of who is going to be in focus at any moment so for a lot of um kind of the mid-level uh, professional cameras like, let's say like i use a canon c70 it's it, it does autofocus and it sees faces but it doesn't have any sort of human sophistication about it. So when people are shooting real professional movies, they're using completely manual focus lenses and manual focus cameras. And there's there's nothing automatic because it's so hard to recreate that human element. And they don't have the same processing power that an iPhone has. So you guys have been able to add some of this human touch, which, the, you know, you had a really great demo during the keynote about that, really showing this uh, the time and attention that you put into making it feel like there is a hand on that lens, carefully turning it at just the right moments, because focus pulling is an art and takes years to, to master even for a human. So, yeah. And that's thing to, to your point, like, you know, focus puller, it is an actual full-time job in movie it's, sets. It's a life. It's a career. Yeah, And yeah. we looked at that and said, you know, we now have enough processing power where we can actually do that in real time uh, to because you're right it is it is part of the story it is this device that has been used for you know, basically ever since moving uh, pictures came into existence to be able to direct the viewer's attention to direct the gaze and we wanted to democratize that technique by making this something that is not only doable by folks who can hire a full-time focus puller, but it's also, it should be something that anybody who wants to uniquely tell their story about their family, their life, the situation they're in, we wanted to give all those folks access to these tools as well. I do have another question about cinematic mode. During the keynote, there was quite a bit of time spent on that human element, the racking, but I felt like it, it, I, I it, it almost snuck by realizing that you guys are doing this uh, this bokeh, adding the blur in the background digitally. Like the first moments I was watching it, I actually 
was thinking, I'm like, is this, is this a natural amount of bokeh? I don't remember my iPhone always looking this blurry when, even when I'm close up to a subject and it took me a few minutes to realize, oh, this, this is actually art, you know, AI or it's, it's machine learning or it's uh, you know, computational photography. And I hadn't quite realized it. Is there anything else you could tell me about that depth effect? Cause you know, we've seen it in portrait mode, but this seems to be something different it's not just more frames per second but it does it felt a little different to me than portrait mode is, is there anything else you can tell me about how it's working or how you approached it I love that you picked up on that, Tyler, because it is so much more than a traditional quote unquote portrait video, right? You know, we had lots of learnings from our portrait mode and understanding how to create that beautiful depth effect through, you know, all these uh, different versions and lighting that we had. Uh, but this was definitely magnitudes more challenging and it's much more sophisticated than creating a simple mask on your subject and keeping that, you know, just consistent. It's, it's really being able to bring all of this with that artistry that you alluded to done in a really simple and intuitive way where you get those natural transitions where we anticipate people coming in and out of a scene we're following the gaze and then we're still doing this with the other video quality features that you expect from us you know with the stabilization we're still grading every frame in Dolby Vision and you're still getting you know those uh, fantastic quality elements that you expect from the iPhone uh, video uh, but we're now adding this whole nother storytelling and John feel free to add on yeah, just sort of real quick. The we of course get to stand on the shoulders of all of the work we did on uh, portrait photography in stills, and so that we model and deeply understand lenses, and so we can go and uh, and actually recreate how the light bounces around to create the bokeh. In, um, in those lenses. We did all of that for stills. And then there was a question of how do we adapt that for, uh, for, uh, for video? And you know, as you get deeper into the film world, you realize that, well, there are cinema lenses and there are still lenses and then there are some lenses that kind of work for both. And so we lent hard into what are the characteristics of a cinema lens? How should we think about a cinema lens? And a lot of this is is art. We we talk about all the time that the thing that Apple does really well is we sit at this intersection of art and technology, and that's really exactly what cinematic mode is. No, I think you guys have good, done a great job. That especially some some of them are also creative choices, and not only technical, like the way that you choose to render the blur, because like you say, there's thousands of lenses out there you know from cinema to photography dating back 100 years and they do have visually different blur like it does not look the same um between different brands and different choices so uh, i really appreciated the attention to the detail of like those choices of this is the way that we will have you know a blooming light appear in the background because like i say it fooled me during the keynote so uh congratulations on that (laughs) love to hear that absolutely love to hear that and I love that it fooled you in a way, Tyler, because it's, it's, uh, sorry, I know we're running out of time. I was just going to say, because it is this amazing computational videography that John and Graham and teams have put together, but we don't necessarily want you to have to worry about that. You know, you just pick it up, you pop in cinematic mode, anyone can start experimenting and realizing that they can tell like more compelling stories with these beautiful depth effect and focus transitions. And that's what we really look forward to seeing once it gets out there in the world, just what even that everyday person is going to come up with yeah i can't wait to play with it too there's so much to talk about yeah no i really appreciate it guys i'm very very excited to try it out and um oh yeah and the the thing i missed i really wanted to say how like 
there are so many professionals that use iPhones for pro work. And I feel like it's what you guys say it in the keynote, but people don't always actually really understand like, no, this, get, this is part of a professional workflow a lot of the time. So things like ProRes um, and just the, the actual quality coming out, it's really appreciated because it, it shows up in uh, the professional video and photo work that we do. Awesome. Thanks so much for Great. having us. We had a lot of fun. Thank you. Great. Thanks, guys. Thanks again to Kyan, John, and Graham for giving their time for this interview. Like I said, there's no one you would rather talk to about iPhone details because these are the people that are like making the decisions and making the actual product that we all enjoy so much every year. So I, I really appreciate the opportunity, and I'd love to talk to more. I'd love to have these conversations like 10 years in retrospect when they can really like give all the dirt on like what, what did they wish they could do and they couldn't quite pull off or, you know, or, I mean, I'd love to ask more questions about what they want to do in the future, but I, you know, I just know I'm not going to get answers to that. So for now, we can find out a little more insight about how they thought about the iPhone 13. Like I said, I'm going to go way more in-depth in this in future episodes. I'll bring guests on so we can kind of tear the whole thing apart, talk about our deeper impressions after really using it for a bit. But um, I, you know, okay, well, here's one. I'll, I'll, I'll give you one right now. I think overall... Um, Apple really sort of undersold the camera again this time. I, I think they've done this on the the what I felt like were some of the biggest updates. So I remember the iPhone 11. I walked away feeling like the, the keynote didn't emphasize camera updates very much. It was like they made it sound marginal. But then actually using it, like I've said a few times, the 11 was a huge upgrade. That kind of happened again this year. Um, Apple a few times they made. Uh, quiet remarks uh, along the lines like this is our biggest upgrade to the iPhone ever like that you know it was there they'd say it in a sentence this is the most significant upgrade to the iPhone but in the, it didn't feel really hypey during the keynote it's more like matter of fact like this is what we're doing uh, and this is why and this is what you can do with it but in reality there's actually a lot there it was a bigger upgrade I think than from the 11 than to the 12 uh so yeah i don't know again kudos to apple I, I i really do like this upgrade but you'll have to stick around to the next episode anyway thanks again for listening guys for now uh keep watching the videos and other than that i'll see you in the next one or talk to you on the next podcast